Welcome to Gotten Creation. Today we have Ruth Bancevich. Um, Ruth, who are you affiliated with and what do you do? So I work at the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion and I'm their church engagement director. Okay, so in that, what are you doing in your time? What What's your work consist of? Good question. Yes, so the Faraday Institute is an academic institute based in the in Cambridge, we're affiliated with Cambridge University through the Cambridge Theological Affiliation. And we, what we do, there's academic interdisciplinary research. And then there's also some of us are involved in communication to the general public. So my job is to work with the church in the UK and help church leaders and their congregations to engage with science in what we believe is a helpful way. So that will look like recommending speakers, going and giving talks myself on how science and Christianity can work together, producing resources, recommending resources. We've got a new website coming in a week or two where you can find all those. Yeah, so I've been I've been working at the Faraday Institute for nearly 15 years now, but this role is just new the last couple of years. I've been producing resources for churches until then, but now we're sort of bringing it together um, in a long-term ministry. And uh, yeah, most of what we do is encouraging people, yeah, helping them to understand areas they want to to work on and uh, yeah, just getting involved in debates and discussions. Beautiful. So you're actually a scientist. So could you go into your background as a scientist and what you did? Yeah, so I trained in genetics a long time ago. I left the lab in 2006 but until then, I was working in genetics, developmental cell biology, really just my PhD was in understanding how the environment can interact with uh, genes during development, embryonic development. And then I went to work on, went on to work in a cell biology lab. I was going to work on Parkinson's disease, but then I realized I wasn't quite patient enough and I wanted to get into science communication. Beautiful. Could you go into your background as far back as a child, even if, if if you'd like? What got you into the sciences and what are your biggest interests? Well, I think I was just always encouraged to follow what I was interested in, what I was good at. And I think I enjoyed especially biology. I like exploring the living world. We spent a lot of time outdoors when I was a child. I like understanding how things work. I'm a very visual person. So biology really worked for me. I just pursued it as long as I could. And uh, yeah, I just love understanding the mechanisms behind the way things are, which always seems incredible for biology because they're such complex systems. So the fact that we can understand anything about them at all is just incredible. And there's a lot of beauty there. And yeah, it's just fascinating. But because they're such complex systems, they require such a lot of painstaking work to understand them. So yeah, I think I'm better on the armchair side of biology finding out what other people have done there. Mm-hmm. You're actually also an author. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you go into some detail about God in the Lab? Yeah, so that that work was something I did. It was part of a project funded by the Templeton World Charity Foundation where we the aim was to help church leaders to you know, see the connections between science and faith. So I did quite a lot of speaking, quite a lot of events, I connected with some scientists asking them, you know what, if we get to start the conversation, what would you talk about? Uh, So we're not talking about controversy, we're talking about what's cool, what inspires you, 
how your science and your faith connect. And I did a bunch of initial interviews and then discovered that they were interested in things like beauty or wonder. Some organic chemists I met in particular were interested in creativity. That led me to imagination. And then there was also a desire in general for me and for other scientists to help people to understand what it actually meant to work in a lab and do science. So, yeah, the aim behind the book was to communicate that work and just really show, be a sort of bridge building to show, A, to show ordinary people that there's stuff in science that can interest them, that we have the same kinds of experiences that they do. And then also to show that some of the experiences that people of faith are having are quite similar to the experiences that people in science are having. And in fact, those two groups obviously overlap. And that this is sort of trajectory through the book where we get closer and closer and closer to, you know, spiritual experience and people's experience of God, which, or as some scientists who aren't Christians would express, you know, the sort of numinous sort of moments of that you might, they might call spiritual, but that a Christian would connect with God. Beautiful. What year was that published? Mm, 2015, I think. 2015. Um, you actually have a more recent book mm-hmm. this year, if I'm not mistaken, <sighs> Wonders of the Living World. Yep. Could you, again, go into that and go into detail about that? Yeah, so it hasn't been published yet. Um, yeah, it's a complicated project. It's an illustrated book, so you can look out for it whenever it does appear. So the aim was really to take that conversation further. This was another project funded by the Templeton World Charity Foundation. It was um, a new project to really open up conversations about the science in particular. So looking at biology and saying, is this compatible with the idea of purpose? Which is quite a, a hot topic for some biologists. And uh, in the short answer is yes, in a, in a small sense, you can very directly connect biological systems with purpose in terms of you know, the cheetah is eating, is catching the antelope so it can feed its young. So it's a very goal-oriented process. So it's kind of a little p purpose. But then for the scientists, six scientists I interviewed for that book, who are also people of faith, for them, their biology is compatible with a large big p purpose, uh, a sort of sense of meaning and meaning in the world. Not that the science is evidence for God or evidence for meanings and things but it's compatible with it and through that book we go again it's another sort of trajectory from the very small to whole ecosystems looking at the questions that scientists work raises going into some of the details of the science in a layperson's way lots of pictures lots of beautiful photographs people from all over the world contributed the most incredible photographs to it and yeah just helping people hopefully people in the church and then also their friends and family to revel in the science and think, oh, wow, I had no idea. For example, mm-hmm. one of the chapters is about how fruitful the whole universe is, you know, how incredibly likely it was that life would emerge on a planet. It wasn't a surprise. It looks set up to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So... I'm going to tell a story from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. I was about five years old, and I was laying in bed and imagining the vastness of the universe. And in an instant, I had you could call it an epiphany, and I just knew that there was a creator, mm-hmm. that everything didn't just come into existence, that 
there had to have been a creator of creation. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. I didn't find Christ until many years later, mm-hmm. 15 years or so later. But that experience stuck with me. So I know you do a lot of talks and I've heard mm-hmm. multiple where you talk about awe and wonder and beauty. What would yeah. you say that that experience for me was? What would you classify that as? So what were you thinking of, sorry, while you were you were having this with me? You were in bed and you were, were you looking at stars or? I was, I was just imagining galaxies and how vast the universe is and how big it is and that it couldn't have yeah. just appeared out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's the compatibility, I think, or what you could say that the things we discover with science is it points us to ask, it prompts us to ask these big questions. Or you could say it's pointing towards, I believe, pointing towards an answer. I don't think it's, you can interpret the data in a number of ways. So some people look at those things you were dwelling on as a child and will say, gosh, you know, what a frightening universe. I'm so small. It's so cold and dark and, you know, meaningless. And I don't think the data itself can tell you, can help you to distinguish between those two views, you know, the meaning and the lack of meaning, the frightening and the the fruitful and incredible. I suspect, yeah, well, I believe in God. So I believe in that moment you were connecting with God and the creator of the universe. He was giving you an insight in his grace (laughs) and, and you were open to it, maybe through some of the things you've been exposed to, I don't know but that you grasped some truth, I believe, about the universe at that point. But I think, yeah, you have to recognize when you're stepping outside of science, we can really enjoy exploring the science. It can then prompt questions like, what's it all for? Or who am I? Or what does it mean? Or who, where did it come from? Who Was there a person behind it? That then when you start answering those questions, you have rec- to recognize that you in order to answer them, you're going to go outside the domain of science. And that's okay. That's good. <laughs> we have to do that. Otherwise, yeah, we would live in a very narrow existence. Science can only really answer questions to do with mechanisms. and, and the, But yeah, no, so that's how I process it. And I think, yeah, it's fascinating to ask scientists, what are their experiences of all? And then what do they do with them? Where do, where do they go after that? Beautiful. Thanks so much. I'm interested just to hear your answer on curiosity. Mm. How important is curiosity, whether a young child or an aged person? I think we are curious. I mean, it is part of the human condition. I mean, animals, other animals are curious too. You know, you just need to watch particularly young animals who are exploring the world and and humans do that too you know we it's gosh it's so valuable I mean if we're not curious life would be very (laughs) very dull we wouldn't make very much progress probably wouldn't survive and it's that curiosity I think that does lead people not just to have the questions but then to say I'm not going to live with this uncertainty I want to explore the answers to it and I think that's what we have a schools team and they go into um, high schools, primary schools in the UK and do a lot of events and they're bombarded with questions from young people who've looked at the science and then have questions. 
And that, I get that in churches as well. So I think we, we need to be curious and we need to not worry about the kinds of questions we're asking. If the question's cool or not, we don't really mind. Just need to say it. <laughs> what do you think it means to be, I don't know, curious as a child? What would you say that that means? Well, I think you're 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 coming you're making your acquaintance with the world. You know, everything's new. I think. I mean, would you say as a five year old that the universe was something you were especially curious about? Absolutely, yes. And what drove that curiosity? Just the unknown and not knowing. Yeah. How it got there. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's yeah, I mean, the older you get, the more, well, the more busy we get. So it can be easy to not allow ourselves the space to exercise our curiosity or to squash curious questions because we just don't have time to answer them. Or maybe we think we know the answers or maybe we've learned enough. We don't think there's much new out there. I don't know. It's a shame. But G.K. Chesterton wrote an essay called Tremendous Trifles, which was all about, which I quoted, I referenced in my book, God in the Lab, and he he was very much in favour of, even in what seemed like the dullest surroundings, actually looking in detail and being curious about your surroundings and observing, he said, was very, very important. It's beautiful. Yes. So I know for me, sometimes I can just take things for granted. And I think when you don't have, when you lose your curiosity, you just get used to things and they, things kind of lose their beauty. Mm. And I find that when I just recenter and just kind of sometimes literally smell the flowers, smell the yep. roses, and you just appreciate everything in a whole new way and in a deeper way. Mm. And I think when we're recording this during, well, certainly for the UK, we're in, uh, stuck in our homes during the COVID pandemic and we're you know one thing we're encouraged to do is is to go out once a day and get some exercise and a lot of people I live on the outskirts of Cambridge where there are lots of fields and people are you know are going out for walks on bike rides they're running and and just I think a lot more people are appreciating nature I'll be really really interested to see how that impacts society for the next 20 years as people and also partly lower pollution, lower road noise. We live near quite a big, busy road, but it's much quieter now. You can hear the birds sing. We're having a very warm spring. There's a lot of lovely flowers. You know, I think, yeah, I, I think people will be appreciating creation. And especially because it's such a lovely counterbalance to the horrible events that are happening. I think people are, well, certainly I am finding solace in the beauty of spring. Um, Absolutely. actually. For my trip that I'm on, I was traveling overseas, but our group had to come back early because mm -hmm. of COVID-19. And we're finishing out in the southern USA, in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful to me that we came back in springtime because like that, I've been going out for a walk every day or multiple times a day. And just to be able to go out in the spring and smell those smells, and there's so many different smells. Um, and everything's just coming to life from winter. And I mean, there's no better time or place for me to be stuck inside and not be able to 
go outside as much as I'd like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are homeschooling their kids just now. And I think that being outside, yeah, I'd be really interested to see how we do from a point of view of protecting green space, attention to caring for the environment, for uh, mitigating climate change. And, and so it's like, I wonder if there'll be a lot more support for those kinds of movements. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so with God in creation, on beauty and curiosity mm -hmm. and poetry, I just bring all, I want to bring all those things in because I just want to show people that just the wonderful things in nature and maybe even try to get them to realize again um, that everything's so bright and raise their curiosity again. And I, I always say beauty because it's really important to me because I think in nature, there's so much poetic beauty and nature is so ripe with metaphors and, um, and metaphors of beauty and just nature is so poetic. I'm curious if you have any quotes. What are some of your favorite quotes? They don't have to be on poetry. They don't have to be poetry or on beauty. But I'm curious if you have any on your mind. That would be... Um, beauty. I wouldn't remember quotes off my heart, unfortunately. But I think... My mind's gone blank. <laughs> very oh, no worries. Um, somebody wrote a famous poem about beauty and truth, and it was about a Greek vase... And they said, you know, beauty would point you to truth. And I think, I don't, yeah, I don't, I think that's a bit optimistic. And I think it's a nice idea. It's very sort of romantic idea in terms of the romantic movement. But I, yeah, I don't, and certainly in science, beauty can be a pointer to truth, but it, I think beauty is largely in the eye of the beholder. So I think once you've got a system that you think is beautiful or a way of looking at data or numbers or whatever that you think is beautiful that works yeah that's going to drive your research but once you come up against the boundaries of what's known and you have new challenges in your research that principle may let you down and it has done in the past it let Einstein down so I think we need to be careful but I think certainly for a lot of scientists they will love the things they work on I used to study zebrafish I used to watch them grow I thought they were beautiful and I think that love of your experimental system or your equations or whatever it is that you think is beautiful is a very helpful driver uh, for research to help keep you going when things are a bit boring or a bit frustrating. So I'm not quite sure if that's what you meant me to share, but <laughs> it can no, put me on great. the right track if I'm not. <laughs> Thanks so much. So before we end, I would love to talk about what are some of your aspirations for the future, whether it's to do with your work or not, and also what your life mission is? Mm -hmm. Well, as a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and I would just love, and certainly thinking in response to COVID-19, I've been writing a series of articles on suffering and where God is during times like this, and I would just love people to realize that the some of the things people say about science and religion are based on a completely wrong understanding of who God is and his character 
And I think believing in a God and experiencing a God who cares, a God who who is on the side of the poor and the suffering, that is always there for people to cry out to him, who will always help people to keep going when life is difficult, when they ask him, then, you know, I think that's a much... I'd rather have those discussions than, you know, why did God let this happen? How could a God exist when, you know, the other thing happens? I think it's often based on an, a misunderstanding of um, who God is and also why, the way life works. I think we can often promise ourselves a very comfortable life, which I think is quite a recent phenomenon. And if life is not comfortable, we get very outraged. We have this sort of sense of right a very comfortable life. I mean, it's nice when it is. And I have to say, I mean, living in Eng- England, I have a very comfortable life. So I am, um, I thought that has been tested from time to time. And I think I'd rather have conversations about who I believe God is and that science is a way of exploring his creation. I believe that creation happened slowly, that the science can reveal a lot about, you know, can can feel a huge amount about how that happened, that it's worth exploring, that science is a way of glorifying God by studying his creation. So those kinds of conversations that, as you say, that beauty can turn our minds to God, wonder and awe can turn our minds to God, that, you know, we in the church, I'd love to see the church affirming science, affirming young people studying science more, supporting the scientists in their midst, yeah, having debates sometimes, I mean, that's important, but more, you know, getting involved in practical things, caring for creation around in their local area or, you know, supporting science that serves the poor or that serves not just humankind, but also the rest of creation. And, you know, getting involved in ethical discussions, you know, there's so much we can do. So I'd love to see the church engaging with science in a healthy way and not you know, circling the wagons and and having these conversations about sometimes, you know, things like creation revolution or arguments for or against God or how God acts, can God do miracles, things like this. They are important, but if if that's all we do, if we just get stuck on debates and maybe very tiny points of theology, they can get quite obscure, I think, if that's all we think about in terms of science of faith, I think that's quite unhelpful. I would like to see people excited, enjoying themselves in those discussions and affirming. I love it. For example, we had a local cathedral in Ely had a science festival. And the whole place was full of groups doing hands-on science demonstrations, which I think is amazing in a place of worship. That's lovely to see people worshipping God by exploring his creation. So those are the kind of aspirations that I have. I would love to see science not being a barrier to faith for anyone anymore. I would love to see signs not dividing churches, theological lines. And then I would love to see a lot more of the positive stuff. So that's why I do what I do. I have no idea how I ended up doing this. I sort of followed my nose into it. But, you know, that's why I stay. That's why I do it, because I want to see people. And, you know, ultimately recognizing the exciting questions that science can ask, for example, about the fruitfulness of the universe or about the seemingly purposeful process of evolution or the the richness of ecosystems and the intrinsic value of ecosystems. There's so much we can talk about there. So those kinds of things. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's beautiful. 
Well, Ruth, I'm so grateful for having you on. Thanks so much. Great. It was good to talk to you, Tyler.